You are listening to Noteworthy Differences. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. I'm really excited to talk about my experience as an inclusive education consultant with your audience today. Fantastic. Um, Could you briefly uh, introduce yourself and um, also touch a little bit on uh, how has your late diagnosis of adult ADHD impacted your work as an inclusive education consultant? Absolutely. Uh, Well, first I'll say I am calling in this morning from Los Angeles, California. I am originally from New Jersey, so the east coast of the United States, and then have spent a little over a decade here on the west coast in Los Angeles. Um, I am an inclusive education consultant. Um, I was previously a special education teacher for the majority of my career in different settings, both district schools in Los Angeles and also charter schools. Um, Charter schools are public schools that have some more autonomy than uh, district schools and often here in Los Angeles have the opportunity to be a little bit more innovative and creative with their practices. Um, And then a couple of years ago, I stepped away from that work to become a leader in this space. Um, What really drives me is ensuring that students with disabilities um, have have access to the same high quality education that their peers who maybe haven't been identified with disabilities have. And that has been a really big struggle in this country, um, especially in California. So as an inclusive education consultant, I have the opportunity to work with district and school leadership to be able to refine their structures and innovate their structures so that any students who are identified with disabilities here in the United States, they call those IEPs, individual education plans, so that those students don't have to be educated in separate settings. that research has said for so many years actually don't benefit or increase outcomes for students with disabilities. Um, And I advocate for students with disabilities to be educated with their peers in regular class. About three years ago now, actually, just Mm -hmm. as I was leaving the classroom, leaving my full-time teaching work, uh, I ended up becoming diagnosed with uh, what people could refer to as a disability myself. I think that that's really reframed how I think about disability. Uh, I was diagnosed with ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, and, you know, initially it was it was a big shock to my system because I had spent my career working with children, uh, mainly young boys who were uh, diagnosed with this as well. And what I saw in those boys was very different from what I saw myself. Um, but what this experience has really highlighted for me are um, just how our schools could be supporting kids that are struggling that don't present, you know, with the typical diagnosis characteristics. You know, I was never a student who was running around the classroom or Um, talking back to the teacher or um, who didn't turn in her homework. 
Uh, but I was a student whose symptoms presented, you know, as anxiety, as anxious. You know, I learned my people-pleasing skills, um, you know, which in a way can be a deficit. Um, I learned them while trying to mask my inattention or to mask my hyperactive thoughts. Um, so I've definitely, with this diagnosis, reflected a lot on my experience as a student and, um, you know, what supports could have been put into place for me to help uh, me to um, reach my full potential in my youth. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, what what would students who are presenting like me and maybe flying under the radar of diagnosis um, now, what could they benefit for from in the classroom as well? Yeah. And um, yeah, I think you probably know as well, maybe researching some statistics of people diagnosed with ADHD. I mean, um, even as an adult as well, you're probably definitely not alone. And it's quite a majority, right? <laughs> not the population. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there has, I've been fortunate to find such a wonderful community of uh, late diagnosed females with ADHD um, who have just I've connected with over shared shared struggles, but also shared triumphs. Because I think for me, part of acknowledging my ADHD diagnosis was understanding and celebrating the components of my uh, neurodiversity that have allowed me to be hugely successful. And one of them is. Um, my ability to uh, to really experience passion and to um, really hyper focus on the things that are important to me, you know, one of which is inclusion. And I I believe that is a gift of neurodiverse people, and I don't see in our public education system these gifts and strengths of neurodiversity neurodiverse children being, you know, leaned into. Um, and these kids, you know, grow up, you know, struggling where, you know, I really wish that our system was um, was helping students to understand their strengths and utilize and grow and build on their strengths. Hmm. I think it's um, starting to happen now. Obviously, people like yourself stepping up and um, getting into it, which is good. Um, then that kind of flows on to, yeah, could you share your experience in advocating uh, for inclusive practices yeah, in your new setting, um, including the specific challenges, um, the opportunities you've encountered, as well as your own approach uh, to developing effective strategies for supporting students uh, with diverse needs? Absolutely. Um, well, you know, in the United States, systems very greatly state to state. So when I was growing up in New Jersey, I was in classes that had two teachers. And mind you, I was never identified as having a special need. Um, And I was always working double time, you know, to intentionally fly under the radar because I didn't want any extra teacher attention. Uh, But we often had classes at my elementary school that had two teachers. And what I later understood is one was a general education teacher and one was a special education teacher. 
and a portion of the students in the classroom had been identified as having IEPs or individual education needs. And then, you know, the majority of the class was what would have been um, spoken about as typically learning kids. Now we know that, you know, no two brains are the same and we really can't put kids in categories like that. Um, but, you know, this was a co-taught classroom and that was such a norm in New Jersey when I was growing up and I loved it. I had two teachers that had two different personalities that brought different teaching styles to my learning, um, who I got to build supportive relationships with, like what kid doesn't need, you know, extra supportive adult relationships in their life. And um, this is later what I thought, you know, special education was when I was getting my teaching certifications also on the East Coast. Like, oh yeah, special education is co-teaching. And then shortly after graduating college, I moved to Los Angeles where special education wasn't co-teaching. Special education was separate settings. Um, you know, the kids with IEPs go to this class, the kids who are typical, and I say typical with, you know, air quotes, <laughs> um, they go to these classes. And um, what was even harder about that is, and this, this is still the case, that mm. most of those classes that the students with disabilities are going to have kids with multiple ages in them. So these might have a class that has fourth, fifth, and sixth graders in it, or um, kindergarten, first, and second graders in it. And I mean, what teacher can teach three grades of kids at the same time? Like, these kids are just missing out on mm. the foundational components of, you know, each grade level of standards, um, not to mention um, we all need pods of peer role models. We need people who we can look up to in our classes. Um, you know, as adults, we all have our um, inspiring people we follow on social media or on LinkedIn, right? That we, um, that help guide our success. And when we put only kids who are struggling in the same place, yeah. they continue to struggle. There is no, um, there is no one who has been successful that can help, you know, shape the confidence for um, the students that are struggling. And that is a big problem. And research shows that's a big problem. Yet our systems continue to be designed to separate kids with disabilities. Hmm. Um, so what, um, what are some of the things that contribute to that? Um, I've been, you know, deep diving for years because it still just doesn't make sense to me, especially in such a progressive state like California. Um, why? Why are we still using these archaic practices? Um, and, and one of the big things I think, you know, is the funding that districts receive per student. This is something that varies greatly in different places. If a district is receiving, say, $7,000 a year per student in California, but in New Jersey, a district could be receiving $14,000 a year per student. Imagine how much more support 
Hmm. a student in New Jersey could have. And that's just the reality of how things look here. Um, And, you know, those aren't specific numbers, but that is about kind of the difference, you know, between the two states that I realized. And this affects staffing. There aren't enough funds to have as many special education teachers in the schools here that there are in New Jersey. There aren't enough funds to have as many teacher aides to help out in general classes. So in my opinion, it's just easier and less expensive to group kids with disabilities in the same space, have kids with multiple you know, grades in school, multiple ages in the same place and have one teacher. And so, yeah, that's like really, really hard to see and we and make sense of and validating. It's, it's, you know, I realized early in my career that I cannot be part of perpetuating this ineffective and discriminatory model in schools. Um, and I think it's only been exacerbated as um as our teacher shortage in the United States has has just grown over the years um especially in special education there are so few people coming into the field now and many more people are retiring than coming into the field so you know in a state that already had fewer special education teachers we now <laughs> have even less and we have no defined pipeline for more did you want to talk a little bit about yeah how you encourage or um and support yeah collaborative efforts among educators? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so the biggest thing that I think that a lot of schools that are struggling with these things are missing is structured co-planning time. And co-planning time is when two educators from different backgrounds come together during the school day. And they collaborate. They collaborate on the instructional practice. They collaborate on the week's lessons. They collaborate on designing assessments. Are you talking about like someone, some teachers in the same year level sort of teaching, but then they're just in different subjects, you mean? And I think the most basic thing, and a lot of schools are not doing that. Um, many schools are. Sure. But more specifically, bringing in a teacher, like a special education teacher who has mm -hmm. expertise at, you know, employing different strategies to engage mm -hmm. neurodiverse learners with the general classroom teacher and bringing them together to collaborate and to plan the delivery, you know, of a lesson. And um, even though we might be short special education teachers, and we might not be able to have two teachers in every classroom, mm -hmm. um, which is my pie in the sky dream, right? Um, we can certainly have teachers opening up their lesson plan and allowing other eyes on them to help make those lessons in the development stage more inclusive and more engaging and more um, to include more choice in them, um, that those are things that could be really powerful. So I support schools in being able to look at their full schedule, identify how they can bring people together more often to collaborate and to co-plan. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, how can we catch students before they're really struggling? So I also support schools in looking at their intervention processes. Mm -hmm. If a student isn't uh, 
understanding something or you're seeing we're seeing that oh a student is starting to struggle reading how can we with reading how can we um build more supports for them before they've entered the now they're failing and we need to assess if they have a disability there's really like those two camps in a lot of schools where like they're either um staying afloat with everyone these kids or they've failed but like that in between mm -hmm. our teachers are generally the bouncy ball yeah okay yeah and, and so, yeah i mean what what are the gaps sort of are there that um you can see that you know we should be addressing um i mean i think there's like a gap in the teachers uh the teachers ability to use different assessment tools to be able to identify these students and then also an instructional practice of mm. okay how do i differentiate this instruction so that you know even if i have a handful of students who aren't moving at the same pace as my other students how can i work with like both of those groups within the same classroom and that doesn't look like standing in front of the class and giving a lecture it looks much more creative you know it looks like having certain students work independently certain students work with partners certain students work with the teacher and you know just imagining the teacher as like a facilitator of this awesome place of learning versus yeah. like the person who's like dictating the learning so i think our teachers really need these strategies um, and the support, and they get it most if the principal or the director of the school has expertise in this, but often we find that that person doesn't. So um, a big part of my job is coaching and training the school's leader to be able to support their staff in improving their instruction and in innovating the way they think about uh, teaching so that more students are successful, both students who have been identified with disabilities and students that have not. Yeah, and, and can we look at those particular strategies? Or... If you love what you're hearing and want to support us, consider buying us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com forward slash ND podcast. That's N for November, D for Delta podcast. Your contribution will help fuel our podcast and bring you even more great content in the future. So thank you for being part of this podcasting journey. Yeah, and creating the inclusive school environment. So, you know, as your role as, as an inclusive education consultant, um, what were the strategies or what are the strategies and initiatives um, that you're offering to schools and educators or, you know, yeah, leadership? So, yeah, so um, I offer needs assessments for schools yep. um, where I come in and I use different um tools that have been developed by a lot of the gurus in this space and um, tools I've created myself to uh, help schools identify their areas of strength um, with including neurodiverse students and teaching to individual student need um, and where where their needs are and areas for improvement are um, a lot of school leaders don't know what they don't know right so a needs assessment uh, supports them in being able to identify specific areas that they can improve in and then part of that 
needs assessment is my observation. Part of that is um, feedback and surveying and interviews with the staff and students and families. And then part of that is a deep dive into the school's data, the student performance data and the subgroup. How is this group of students performing on this? How is this other group? And using all of that to really ultimately invest the school leader in this need for change and to define specifically where we can work next. And then once we're there, uh, I do strategic planning with the school leaders. So we, you know, figure out what we're going to tackle first. Ideally, my work involves the leadership. Um, So maybe there's people under them. Maybe they have an instructional coach who works with teachers. Maybe there's a special education department chair. And I work to build the capacity of those people so that they can disseminate effective strategies to the other staff at this school. And so it's coming, this change is coming from within the school versus through an outside source. Um, And another piece of that work too is professional learning for the teachers. So I also develop curriculum for the teachers that uh, either myself um, that I can deliver to teachers or that I can train the school leaders to deliver to teachers on more effective practices. And we engage in um, in inquiry cycles where, you know, we'll deliver a professional learning component and then I'll support the school leaders in observing the implementation of that in their classrooms. Um, I'll go on learning walks at the schools um, and provide my observation. And then we'll meet and we'll kind of do it again and iterate until um, until we're ready to move on to yeah. another component. Kind of like a continuous kind of feedback loop until we get some... Yeah, like, yeah. Yes, absolutely. But I think the biggest thing... Um, the biggest thing that we encounter is mm-hmm. just mindset of yeah. of staff um, because this is how education has been in California, you know, as long as these individuals have been teaching, right? And that's a long time for some. So to undo these paradigms is mm-hmm. really, really hard. Yeah. And, uh, um, but what, what I find you know, even with kind of the most challenging individuals who might be most resistant to employing these inclusive practices (laughs) is that generally they have some kind of connection in their life to disability, um, whether it's, you know, as a teacher, whether they've, you know, had a student in their class who, you know, maybe they thought was in the wrong place and should have been in a special education class, but wasn't. And um, they really saw that student progress or maybe they have a nephew who, you know, has some kind of disability and they've witnessed the schooling process, you know, through the lens of an aunt or uncle and um, have seen those struggles. And then I think what I'm realizing, the more I understand adult neurodiversity Many of them are neurodiverse themselves. And I think that's like a really interesting lens to kind of bring up in the professional learning process of like, um, you know, 
what do you need as a staff member? Like, what are the unique things you need to be successful? Are they the same things as your colleague in the classroom next door? Do you do your work the same way? Do you do your planning the same way? Um, and just bringing light to um, to the adults in the building and, and the differences among them. Um, and I think that's really helpful. Of course, the research component, like research undeniably hmm. shows and has shown for decades that inclusive education has benefit, academic and social benefit for students with disabilities and all students in the classroom setting because yeah. it diversifies the practice of the educators just to meet more learners in general. Um, so we always have that research and I love all of that. I love, um, you know, throwing facts around, but, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, that only goes so far in mindset. And we need people to be able to have like a personal connection to the work. So I yeah, I was going to say work through my professional development and conversations yeah. to help make it more personal for for our educators. Because yeah. I mean, the statistics like you know are that I think I was reading you know one in five students likely has dyslexia. Um, and you know, you were saying like who doesn't have. ADHD in a way, right? Like, mm. I mean, we don't know the exact percentages, you know, who have ADHD <laughs> as the criteria has shifted and everything. Um, we all will know people in our lives who don't fit that quote unquote typical learner profile. So it's really hard for educators to not connect with this work when you yeah. kind of dig into it more. Looking ahead, I guess um, that's a good one. Uh, what are like the aspirations now for your work as an inclusive education consultant and how do you envision now continuing to make a positive impact on the field of special education and inclusive practices? Um, thank you. Yeah, this is really exciting for me. And honestly, my goals have been the same since the start of my career. I want to significantly influence the inclusive, the expansion of inclusive practices in California. Um, you know, that looked different when I was working inside a school district. You know, I worked with what was in the locus of control and helping my specific schools and the neighboring schools. But now as a consultant, I have the opportunity to work with entire school districts that might have dozens or, you know, hundreds of schools, right? And then another component of that work is um, volunteering my time as well at the city and state level to help shape policy because a lot of what happens in education is based again on the budget the state's budget for things and different laws and requirements that schools have to follow or um, a lack of things that they follow because there's a lack of you know laws in place so i definitely want to become over time more involved in that higher up um process that is dictating down <laughs> to these districts and schools and yeah i see that happening so definitely continue on that mission yeah thank awesome. you so much and um just a unique one to the show uh well your legacy or your uh, memoir to you know for the future generations um when you pass on what would you like to have been known for <laughs> Well, I think this ties a little bit into uh, the previous question for me. 
Uh, but I guess I'll just narrow the scope a little bit. Say, I... Imagine on your tombstone or, you know, someone, yeah. you know, when Ariel's passed, you know, what, what how will they ever remember you? <laughs> how would you, you know, so many. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want, I want my tombstone to say leader of inclusive education in Los Angeles. I think that, like, that specific thing, you know, I live in a big city and if I could move the needle in this entire city and that was my legacy um, that would that would be a life well lived for me so uh yes include what did i say leader of inclusive education in law <laughs> you're on a mission <laughs> i'm on a mission i'm on a mission um thank you so much for allowing me to share about it today yeah i definitely appreciate your um, insight and thank you for your time Thanks for uh, joining me for this chat. Thank you. Hey, Chris here. Thank you for listening to that episode. And if you'd like to hear any other episodes of mine at Noteworthy Differences, you can find me on Spotify or Apple or any other streaming platforms where you listen to your podcast. Just search for Noteworthy Differences and you will be sure to find me. Thank you.